You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. I'd like to welcome everyone to Legally Blissed Conversations and a special welcome today to Paula Price. Paula is a lawyer coach, speaker, and creator of the Joyful Practice for Women Lawyers podcast, which is a podcast that speaks directly to challenges and opportunities for women lawyers who want to create more purpose, distinction, and joy in their work. Paula is also the founder of Uplevel Lawyer Coaching, where she coaches lawyers and other professionals around time management, productivity, communication, interpersonal relationships, professional advancement, confidence, and career transitions. Welcome again, Paula. Thank you so much for being here today, and thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you so much, Susie. Thank you so much for inviting me to come onto the podcast. It is such a pleasure, and I'm so excited for our conversation today. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in. I'm delighted to have all of you here with us today for this conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, Paula, like I said, has her own podcast, and she's been telling a lot of, um, you know, she provides a lot of guidance, a lot of just practical tips, I think, in your podcast. So I'm really excited to have um, you on today to to pull out a little bit of your story, like your personal journey into where you are now. So let's go back just a few years to when you, let's go back to undergrad. We call it undergrad in Canada. Paul is in Canada. Is it, is it undergrad? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at what point did you decide going to law school is the thing to do? <laughs> oh, I love it. So thank you so much, Susie. Um, when I was making that decision, it was undergrad. I was getting to years three, four, where you need to make a decision about what to do after undergrad. Um, my story is influenced by as much what I did inside of university as outside. And so as a first year student, I started out in sciences. This is getting a little bit detailed, so I'll try to keep it <laughs> high level, but it is relevant. Um, I started out as a science student and it was not for me. And then I took a gap year and I went to Switzerland and I was 19 years old. I looked after two kids. I nannied there for a year and I lived close to Geneva and was exposed to this uh, international community for the first time. And I met individuals whose parents were involved in international organizations. The family that I worked for was a very international family. And I became very interested in what they were doing. The, the woman, the mother was an international lawyer. She had worked for the Red Cross. So I just, my, my, my mind opened up to this possibility. Yeah. 
And as a student, I then went back to university and focused on international relations and economics. And I studied in those areas. And I took another year, this time through my university. I went as an exchange student to France and again was in this international community. So my thinking when I went to law school was really uh, at torn actually between doing a master's in a in a program for international studies and going to law school and ultimately i decided on law school um i found there was the school a canadian school mcgill which had kind of the best of both worlds it had this international element to it uh, a strong international student community it was um french and english so for a canadian university it kind of had the best of both worlds as far as i could as I was concerned. And so I went down that path. And the the goal was really to be an international lawyer, somebody who worked with people from different countries. I wasn't really sure what that would exactly look like, but that was the original thinking behind, behind me going to law school. Wow, that's really cool. And I admire your experience in taking a gap year and being a nanny or maybe an au pair in, in Switzerland. That actually sounds really cool. <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly what it was. And it was, it was challenging looking yeah. after kiddos. They were six oh, months sure. and two and a half when I got there and it was good training sure, <laughs> because yeah. I now have my own kiddos and it's, uh, it, it prepared me well. It prepared me for some of what to expect. Yeah. And it sounds like you made some great connections and, um, it's cool because, you know, you can look back. It's so hard. I've talked with people about this, how like, it's so hard to really know the direction you're going sometimes when you look back you see those little dots connected and you're like oh wow that like that really made sense and it's interesting how that particular experience prompted you to go to law school and really kind of go to a school that sort of had that international aspect so what was what was law school like for you did you love it did you did you hate it were you <laughs> honestly i loved it i really enjoyed I, I, I live in Vancouver. That's where my family is. And I moved to Montreal, which is, it's a fabulous city. It's really, it, it's, I mean, Vancouver is a wonderful city. It's very outdoorsy. There's a lot of glass buildings and new infrastructure. Yeah, Montreal by comparison is much more established. It's, I don't know, maybe the, the buildings are 300 years old instead yeah. of 50 or whatever. I'm, I'm sort of guessing there's a culture there of both French heritage and then the Anglo influence. Uh, I lived in an area called the Plateau, which is pretty well known as being this great student area. The university felt so, um, just felt so established and it was so beautiful. And I had the opportunity to meet so many interesting people and yeah. going from undergrad, which I really enjoyed, but as a student, while I was in Vancouver, I lived at home. I didn't have that on-campus experience. So when I went to McGill, it was on campus. There were all these amazing students from across Canada and from abroad. And there was this really vibrant community of students. And I just found getting into law, um, I was really interested in a lot of the topics that we were talking about. So there were certain topics that were really, really interesting from the perspective of being, you know, international law and talking about international communities. And then also courses, and for some reason they're popping out. And thank you for asking these questions, Susie. I haven't thought about these things in years, but <laughs> courses like property law and business associations, ones that were very technical, those were the areas that I actually ended up really enjoying. I loved the the, the logic and just the frameworks of those courses. And so I found the, the stimulation of having these courses, the stimulation of being around all these amazing people in this 
city I'd never lived in before. It was really fun. Um, there, of course, were stressful moments. Exams were always were always crazy. I was at the cafes studying till midnight during exam period, all of it. But I just found overall it was um I overall I, I loved I loved the opportunities and I loved all the people that I had a chance to meet and the professors who uh, they just, they were so impressive to me. So I, I just loved it. What was your favorite class? You know, it probably was property. Now that I'm thinking about it, I had this wonderful instructor. He was so lovely. And I just liked how things all clicked together. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to think about it. I might change my mind, but that's, okay. that's the one that, that's the one that jumps to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, mean, I could ask you tomorrow and it could, you could like have another answer and that would be totally fine. Well. Trust, trust in the state was also really great. Again, <laughs> largely influenced by the professor. So, yeah. um, <laughs> yes. I think professors can definitely make or break a class, right? They totally. Can an easy experience or an absolutely horrific one. Um, especially especially for law school. Totally. And, and sorry, I have to ask, do you have a favorite course? Like if you look back, can you think off the top of your head what your favorite course was? So this is, this is looking back. Yes. I, it was an intellectual property course. So I'm a trademark <sighs> lawyer. Right. And you know, at that time, this, my school didn't have very, it just was, there wasn't a lot of intellectual property classes and there was one IP class and it covered patents, trademarks, copyrights and trade secrets for like, you know, like four sec. like those are all courses or, you know, topics that could, you, you couldn't learn an entire year, like for a course. So it was very condensed, but, um, even then I wasn't really sure that I wanted to go into intellectual property, but looking back on it, I was like, okay, that was a class that really, that really excited me. That was, I found really interesting. So Fabulous. And that's, and that's where you ended up. I know. It's where I ended <laughs> Good up. for you. Um, I liked criminal law. I thought that was kind of exciting. I didn't really see myself going into criminal law, but sometimes I look back, I'm like, Ooh, that would have been, that might've been really interesting for me. I, I just, I, I don't know. I didn't really, I kind of floated a little bit because I wasn't really exactly sure like what area of law I wanted to get into when I was in law school. It, it, it I, I, after a few years, it started becoming clear, like the direction, but I, it didn't seem clear as I was going through the process. Um, but, you know, I guess, again, that that's that clarity, right? That it's whenever you have hindsight, you look back, you're like, oh, that made sense. Okay, now I see why I was really interested in that class. So absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm curious when you graduated from law school, did you have a position lined up? I did. So the way it worked for our cohort or our, our year, and this I think is pretty much the system today, is that if you wanted to work in a law firm, which yeah. I decided in my, I guess, first or second year that that's what I would do, which <laughs> is quite different from the international, whatever it was that I had been dreaming about. But, um, you know, I, I, became interested in working at a law firm. And so I went through the process and the process was you apply for a job in your second year, you summer at a law firm, 
and then you return after your third and final year to um to article and after you article you get called to the bar and then you become an associate so it's a bit different from the u.s system where i gather you summer and then you graduate right the bar and you're associating at the beginning so for us there's uh that apprenticeship or articling stage and i said three years some people take four years the school i was at had different programs being offered and so some of them are longer um and so i did have a firm that i was going to i went to bay street initially which is in Canada, kind of in Toronto, it's um, it's a very strong center for finance and law, mm-hmm. and um, that was all that was all ready to go when when I graduated way back in two thousand three. <laughs> yeah, that's when I graduated. So, what was uh, what was your experience like your first few years in a in like the corporate world? Um, it was a bit of a shock. I had tons of jobs. I've always been a worker. I had jobs from restaurant jobs, coffee shop jobs, Blockbuster, when videos were actually a thing that you would watch and rent and all that. Crazy. I had uh, jobs all over the place. So I'm a hard worker. Yeah. Exactly. Nannying. I've I've done a lot of jobs. None of them were in a professional environment quite like a law firm. And I think until you – are in a law firm, it's hard to know what to expect or what it's like. And I think if you have lawyers in the family, you may have a bit of a window into what that world looks like. I didn't have any lawyers in the family. We had some family friends who were lawyers, but I didn't know what their day-to-day looked like. We never talked about being a lawyer. And so I found it to be quite an adjustment. I found um, the level of professionalism was... um, something I really needed to grow into. I found the level of conversation was so much more elevated and succinct. And I think, you know, I have a theory that because we're always in a, in a firm environment, kind of where we're, the, the, the files are important, the deadlines are pressing, the minutes are being allocated in six minute increments. So I found there was always, um, that pace, right? And and I mean, not always, I shouldn't say that. There were times when you'd have a conversation, it was super relaxed and you're talking in your office with your friend, your colleague, whoever, but um, but I found that that leap, right? From being in an environment like law school or other working environments that just felt a bit more casual to all of a sudden being in an environment where I really needed to be prepared for conversations. So going to visit a lawyer in their office to talk about a file, I learned I had to prepare so much more than I would have for a casual conversation with somebody at a previous job, for example. So to me, there was, there was, there were a lot of things that I needed to learn to figure out how to thrive in that type of a corporate setting. That's interesting, you know, especially coming from someone, um, I, I'm similarly situated. There was no one in my family who ever worked in a, a firm or, you know, corporate environment like that. So I, I wasn't really, <laughs> I wasn't duly warned about what to really expect. And I had to up-level a lot. And I look back and I, I think I was a little on the immature side at 25, you know, um, was I ready for that level of responsibility? Um yeah, it was, I felt like I was really just kind of thrown to the wolves. And I wonder if there are maybe certain schools or maybe in the past 20 years, maybe law schools have gotten better in kind of helping their associates ease into that type of environment, or if it's still just like throwing them to the wolves. You work with attorneys on 
you know, a really close, uh, you know, you have really close relationships with attorneys who are in that situation. And we'll get to that. And I'm sure you have some thoughts on that, um, <clears throat> about the training that goes into kind of helping young lawyers adjust to being in a law firm. But I want to kind of stick with those early years of, of you being an attorney. Um, what was like, in addition to that, um, it sounds like that was kind of one of your biggest obstacles, right? Just kind of navigating this corporate environment. What other challenges did you have as a young lawyer? And were you able to kind of overcome those? Yeah. And, and thank you so much for asking, Susie. These are excellent questions. And I think I should give a little bit more background. I practiced law for about, I want to say from what was it? 2004, 2005 to, um, and that's after articling Articling, yeah. and until about, you know, I, I, I think I, you know, changed my status to non-practicing. I think it was 2020, but I really stopped practicing probably 2017, 28, probably 2018, 2019. So, um, what is that? 14 ish years. And, um, and not all of that time was in a big law firm. I was in sure. large firms uh, for the most part. I also practiced in a boutique firm. I practiced as a contractor. So I've had different iterations as a lawyer. And so right, if I right. if I go back to, yeah, just to, and then I transitioned into coaching, I guess in 20, <laughs> I want to say 2018-ish, right? Give right. or take, there was some overlap there between law and coaching. But um, what I found challenging as a young lawyer just what we talked about, right? That adjustment phase. And I think also, um, and this is something that I think has compelled me to do the work that I do now mm-hmm. is I have had a long road transitioning from a person who looked outside to figure out what to do to looking more inside to knowing what to do or to deciding what to do. And so I was very much influenced by the expectations of my family. Uh, Not that they aren't nice people, they're wonderful people, but that's kind of where it starts, right? Your family sets expectations and you wanna live up to those expectations. I think academic institutions that I went to, I always wanted to be a good student and that went right through to law school. Then I was in a firm and I wanted to be a good lawyer in the firm. So I looked to the firm to tell me what that meant. And so I spent a lot of time trying to uh, find success, I suppose, by doing things that felt very much external to me. What were the next steps that were uh, dictated? And and dictated is a strong word, so it's probably not the right one, but, but that were set, standards that were set externally. And then I tried to meet those milestones, reach those milestones. And that is a challenge because I think what happened for me is that I wasn't asking myself what I wanted. I wasn't asking myself what was interesting to me. I wasn't asking myself what was motivating to me. And so a lot of the choices that I made were, I mean, I did make some intentional choices along the way. I don't want to say I didn't, right? I chose what school I was going to. I chose my classes. I chose what firm I went to. I chose who I wanted to work with. I chose the practice area. I mean, I did make choices, but I think I made those choices with a very, very heavy emphasis on the external. And as I've grown up, um, and you asked me some questions that I that I that I prepared for, <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm going to jump a little bit ahead okay. no, because you- be, because you asked me what the challenges were as a young lawyer, and you also 
and, and, and I've also identified a challenge that I had as the more um, experienced lawyer. So the main challenge as a young lawyer is this internal challenge, right? It's it's not really looking at what I want and then shaping my career around my strengths and my interests, just sort of looking outside of myself. So that's a transition that I've been making over the years. So it's been a slow transition. And this is what I encourage when I work with lawyers, I encourage them to do that work because I know how helpful it is when you start to actually listen to yourself and be like, okay, I don't have to look outside myself for the answers. Yes, there's the frameworks and I want to operate within them, but I also need to do the other part of that work, which is to decide where I'm going, what lights me up, what's going to help me fit best. So that was one challenge. And the other one, Susie, is having a family and then having the external challenge of like at the time I was working in a big law firm with um, it, we had we had created a role for me that wasn't uh, an, a, a, a regular role. So I wasn't doing the type of hours that I was previously, but still I found being a, a parent um, with young children in a law firm environment, that was a big challenge. And what was so interesting was that um, the two ended up fueling each other in a very challenging but productive way. So as I was not feeling super aligned, right? As 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 a result of making decisions based on external factors, I I felt increasingly out of alignment with with myself, right? And and I just had a hard time seeing the path forward. I I, I didn't I didn't know what that was going to look like. And at the same time, with these um, the boundaries that came along with having a family, I had two young kids. Um, or I, I I they're now eight and ten. Um, my husband travels for work. So I have a lot of responsibility at home, which I love. I, I, I would choose that, but it also meant I had to be so much more intentional about how I worked. And so it required me to be making decisions. It required me to set boundaries. And so the two of them kind of fed off each other so yeah. that I've had to be so much more intentional about how I work. Um, not only in terms of the substantive work, now I'm coaching versus practicing law. So there's been a shift there, but also how I work. So I now work like many of us have started to do since the pandemic. I did it pre-pandemic. I work remotely. I work at home and that gives me the flexibility that I need. I still work a lot. I get up really early. I work weekends if I have to, but I work in a, in a way that is compatible with the other commitments that I have in my life. So I've really answered the question. <laughs> you asked me about the challenges <laughs> as a young lawyer, and I've turned it into um, more challenges. But when you asked me these questions in advance of our interview, I just thought I'd never really put those two things together in that way. And, yeah. and I think it might be helpful for people who are listening who might find that the challenges that they have that come up in their careers, sometimes they actually... They actually, they work together. It's really hard when you're going through it, but the end result is that you overcome those challenges and find yourself in a place that is so much more in tune with what you yeah. want to do. Well, you know, they say the value of your, or the quality of your life depends on the quality of the questions that you're asking yourself, right? So I think that asking really kind of thoughtful questions and sitting down and looking at them, um, in, in writing your own answers or just marinating on on them has a lot of there's a lot of value so if anyone's listening to this or watching this and they want um a list of the questions that i asked paula they can just email me contact me and i'll give them that same list because i think that might be really helpful for people to like if they need kind of journal prompts right things to kind of write about or it's kind of 
self-explanatory or self-exploratory and they're what and why and how type questions. Um, let me ask you, Paula, at what point did you start realizing, oh, dang, I am really being driven by these external influences, right? These external factors. And I'm not really digging deep into my own questions, like my own personal values in terms of like goal setting and making decisions. Like, and I know that there's been this transition over the years, but was there kind of like this, when you look back, was there, was this, can you look back and see like a point where like, oh, that's kind of when it happened. That's when I realized like, I need to start going within because within is where my guiding light is. Like, where did that happen? Can you pinpoint or... Does, I don't know if pinpoints really great. <laughs> no, it's it's such a beautiful question, Susie. Um, and yes, that list of questions you sent me is amazing. So I encourage anybody who wants to ask themselves those questions to to write to you and and to seek them out. There's not really one single moment, Susie, that was the moment where I realized I needed to look more at what was going on on the inside. There are there's just these little pockets. Um, for example, um. I remember wanting to go see a speaker. Uh, uh, I wanted to go see Tony Robbins. <laughs> I had started <laughs> listening to his to his videos on as I was at the time. My commute to to the office was I would take the bus into the office and then I'd run home. And as I was running home, I'd listen to stuff on my phone and I kind of found this trail of 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 Tony Robbins. And I thought this is really great stuff um, that I'd never really thought about before. And he talks a lot about questions and you know all these different things. And so he was, he was going to be speaking at an event in Seattle, which for me would have been a drive to the other side of the border. And I remember trying to convince this friend of mine over dinner. I was like, you know, we should do a road trip. It'll be so much fun. We can go see him speak. And she's like, I don't get it, Paula. <laughs> like, why on, why on earth do you want to drive down to Seattle and spend the weekend at a seminar to listen to Tony Robbins? And I was like, hmm, that's a really good question. And the answer that came to me was, because I want permission to do what I want to do, which at the time was to frankly do what I'm doing now. I wanted to stop practicing law and take the leap to becoming a coach. Now, there were a lot of things that had happened to lead me to that point where I discovered coaching. I was really interested in it. And so there was a lot more to it than just that one moment. It wasn't just Tony Robbins, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't just Tony <laughs> Robbins. It wasn't just Seattle. But that question that my friend asked me where I realized I was what I was wanting was permission was kind of an aha moment to me. And I go back to that. And I think for anyone who's listening, who feels that sense, right? It's like you, you have that thing that you want to do and you hold yourself back because you feel like you need permission from somebody. And ultimately Tony Robbins isn't going to give me permission to <laughs> stop practicing law and go be a coach. Like, you know, it just, it's, it's unrealistic, but or I don't need it, but it's, it's that, it's that, it's that sort of aha moment where you start to see where you're asking for things in others, where actually what you want is to do that for yourself. And so that was one of the many moments, but I think the biggest uh, realization was when I actually did start to become a coach. So I signed up, I applied for a program, I was accepted and I did my coach training and a big part of the coach training was to do your own work. And so it required asking as of ourselves questions. And the assignments were unlike questions at law school where you are asked a question and there's a right answer. It's like questions about defining 
I mean, there was a whole bunch of work leading up to who you wanted to be as a coach, right? Just really getting to know yourself and your boundaries and your priorities and your values and all the things that we don't typically think about. And yet it's underpinning everything that we do. And then being really intentional about, okay, how do you want to show up professionally? What does that look like for you? And, um, and, and so I think it was really an iterative process and I'm still doing that work. And I think sure. for all of us, our values change over time, our definition of success changes over time. And whether we're aware of it or not, these are things that influence everything that we do. So to answer your question again, it's, it's, it's an evolution. It's a process. It's something that I think has happened over so many years and it continues to happen. I think I've, I've, I've learned that there is no end to it, right? The, the whole journey is just, it's, it's an evolution and we change all of the time. And so just knowing that we can always go back to ask ourselves some of those very fundamental questions is something that I, that I, I do myself and I encourage others to do because <laughs> the world shifts around us, we change. Yeah. So it's, um, I think it's really important work. So let me ask you, um, you mentioned all your kind of your values evolve, your definition of success evolves. What is Paula's current definition of success? Yeah, I, I I love that. I love that. Um, knowing that I you love, can change it tomorrow. No, exactly. <laughs> knowing that it knowing that it changes. So so I, I I gave some thought to this question, and I think I have really four um, parameters right now. I've, it it shifts over time. Health is number one. Like my physical and mental well being goes at the top because um, what am I forty five. Now that I'm 45, relative to when I was younger, um, I, I find that my my body is such a barometer of how I'm doing. And so if I'm not eating well, if I'm not exercising well, if I'm not um if I'm not resting enough, if I'm working too much, if I'm not spending enough time with my friends and family, it actually shows up physically for me. And I realize I'm such a better person. I'm a better parent. I'm a better uh, coach. I'm a better friend when I actually take the time to do that self-care. So in my definition of success is number one is personal health. And from that, I can then do the other things. Number two in my world currently is my family. I'm not sure that I would change family, but the level of involvement that is required of me at this stage with the kids being at the stage that they're at it's a, it's, it's a relatively uh, significant portion of my days and that's important to me. And how I define success in my family is probably different from everybody as we all define success differently. And I don't focus so much on having a perfectly clean house, believe me, um, or my kids in all the activities. They're yeah. not those types of kids. I just want them to, I want them to thrive and I want them to know themselves, right? Going back to that yeah. first point, I want them to be in alignment with who they are uh, as early as possible. Um, and then third success is thriving in my coaching practice. I love the work that I do. And so it's, it's building my practice. It's helping lawyers. It's challenging myself to grow my practice in new and different ways so that I can help impact more people. And then the fourth is connection. And that's really with my friendships, really. Um, I think that's kind of what I, I would focus on there is, do I have those? And and I and I think I say connection because I think it's important to be surrounded by other people who who you enjoy being surrounded by. And many of them will be your your friends and family outside of your professional work. But 
I'm increasingly finding connection with professionals who, who are not necessarily my, you know, friends from outside of my professional work. They're, they're friends that are they're overlapping. And so mm-hmm. I just love being part of a community where I'm surrounding myself with people whose values align with mine, who are doing interesting things where we can talk to each other openly and frankly, and just enjoy each other and help each other do what we want to do in this world. So I think those are the four things at the moment that define success for me. I love that. I think that's so beautiful because I, I bet your definition of success has evolved quite a bit from 45 year old Paula to 25 year old. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, And a lot of that has come from you digging into your internal self, right. Going within to find answers. Um, I want to commend you, um, and I've heard you say this before about how your kids are not into everything, right? Like you're not, you're not like the soccer mom driving your children everywhere. And I feel like there is a lot of pressure on moms these days. I, I don't know if it's from children, from peers, from schools or what to have your kids in like all of the things Um, but there's so much value in interaction with children that doesn't require going to like all of the soccer lessons, right? Like it's, I don't know. I just want to commend you for that. And because I I think that women who are similarly situated, who aren't taking their children to all the things have a sense of guilt. Like I've talked to women about this. who are like, oh, I should be taking, you know, I should, I should have them involved in all the things, but I'm really just tired or you know, I went through this with my older two children. I just can't do this anymore with my younger ones. Right. Like, so um, I think it's cool that you have recognized that and that, you know, that there's so much more value in kind of your experience with your children. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash bliss for an exclusive introduction. I mean, I love that you brought up the example of soccer. I played soccer as a kid and reasonably <laughs> competitively. I but I don't know how I was never like the strongest <laughs> player, but I always managed to make it on these really good teams. And so, um, to me, I sort of, I tried signing up my son for soccer and he hates it. And I took him to a number of games back several years ago, pre COVID. And we would go, we'd be standing in the rain. He'd run off the field. He hated it. I had to convince him to go and it was a fight. And I just remember thinking to myself, who am I doing this for? Am I doing it for him? Because he doesn't seem to love it. I don't love it. And I I think if your children 
are agreeable to it. I mean, he's just not. And I've Mm -hmm. sort of tried with my daughter, but you know, COVID gave me a pretty good excuse not to sign anybody up for anything. So I (laughs) fully took advantage. (laughs) And and tonight I've actually, I'm trying to get them into a tennis class. And when I told them about this morning, I got a lot of pushback, but that being said, I think the kids are all so different. And so if, if they're into it, bravo, like take them. But if your kids are like mine, <laughs> then then it 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 doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be doing the hockey's and the soccer and the baseball and the everything. And it's for me, um, there is a an element of of guilt when I hear parents who have their kids and all the things, and I'm like, oh, you know, I kind of wish I could do that, but at the same time, I also have to recognize it's not it doesn't work for our family, and so it's figuring yeah. out what does work, what's kind of like a reasonable level of, of activities. And, you know, I think one of the messaging, one of the messages that was, um, that resonated with me during the pandemic, so the early days of the pandemic, when everybody tried to homeschool their kids and none of us that aren't homeschoolers are really qualified to do that. But, but there was, there was a post from a teacher on my Facebook feed saying, put the relationship above, um, the routine or something like that. It was a re- relationship above something else. Yeah. And that resonated with me that, that if I focus on the relationship, the rest is going to fall into place. So uh, I try to remind myself of that sometimes when I'm feeling like, you know, there are all these other things that I could be doing, but is it right? So is it right yeah. for us? Right. And if they're giving you the resistance, like about being in soccer, right. That's like a pretty good, that's a pretty good sign. Like this is not for me. <laughs> in, in in our case, I mean, for some kids, they go through that resistance phase and then they decide they love it. So, right, you know, right. maybe my kids at 20 are going to tell me that I was a terrible mom because I <laughs> didn't force them. Oh, but, I don't think so. but, but it depends on the kid. It depends on the yeah. family. It's like, those are some of the struggles as a parent. Yeah. Do you push it or not? So in our case, we've just decided to try to find other activities and see what happens. See what happens. Well, you're, you're doing the you're doing parenting, your, your husband travels, and you are also a coach. So I would love to kind of talk a little bit about your transition from wearing your lawyer hat to wearing your coach hat, kind of how that came about. I'm also interested in knowing a little bit more about your specific style of coaching, um, particularly with respect to consulting hat and coaching hat because they're a little different. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Totally. Um, I mean, I think going to the first question about transitioning, I have a lot of lawyers ask me about the transition because I think when you're in law practicing as a lawyer, that's really all that we see. And when I made the transition, I started out in law firms, like traditional big law firms, boutique firms, they were all pretty traditional. And especially when I left um, sort of the bigger law firm environment, that was all that I knew. And and I didn't really know what else was out there. And so I know for a lot of lawyers, it, it seems like what else is there? And how do you leave law, right? Law is this thing, you train for it, you are a lawyer, it's kind of got this nice definition to it. And so I have had a number of people wonder what it's like. Is it hard? Um, how do you do it? And and I guess what I'll say about that, Susie, is that it was a difficult transition because it's going from one identity, right? Paula as lawyer to Paula as coach. Yeah. And when I first started out, my plan was to try to wear both hats. Mm-hmm. 
lawyer and coach. But what I realized a year into doing that, I was working as a contract lawyer and I was building my coaching practice and I was parenting and I realized something here had to give. And I decided to turn my focus to the coaching work. That's what was really calling me. And so um, I, I did that and it was really kind of awkward at the beginning, right? Going and calling yourself a coach. I had coaching clients pre-pandemic who were in law firms. And so I would show up at the law firm lobby dressed up, sort of, not necessarily super, super dressed up, but dressed up in yeah. kind of how I might have dressed as a lawyer, but not being a lawyer. And that to me was really trippy because I was there as a coach, not a lawyer. And it it took me some time to make that shift. And now that I'm um, fully coach, I'm still a lawyer. I retain uh, a non-practicing status with, with my law society. I still um, do some work in the legal area, not legal advice per se, but I but I still interact with lawyers all of the time. I help with legal education. Um, so I, I still associate myself as a lawyer, but much more so I identify as a coach. That's where my that's where my my thinking is. So it's hard for anyone who's thinking of making such a transition. It is challenging. It requires an identity shift. It requires really getting clear about where you want to go, what that looks like. And I think looking at the lawyering investment or the years or the time, right? Because I think that's something that people struggle with. Well, you went to law school, you practiced for however many years, you're really invested. And I try not to look at that as a sunk cost. <laughs> it's, it's not like an experience that I regret by any stretch. I think all of those experiences led me to where I am now. And wherever you decide to jump off, you have that base of skills and knowledge and experience that set you up for that next stage. And so um, looking at my coaching and consulting, um, you talked earlier about young lawyers making that adjustment. Um, the work that I do now with lawyers is um, is very much uh, focused on the lawyer. So there's the coaching piece, right, which is a conversation one to one where we help establish what it is that the client wants help with. Is it they want to get a new job? Is it that they're struggling with their time management at work and they want to correct that? Is it they are pursuing partnership and they want help along the way? Is it they are a junior partner and their lives have exploded and how do I manage that? Is it I want to increase my business development? How do I do that? So there's the coaching, right? Which is that one-to-one -one relationship for me um, at this stage of my practice. Uh, you can also do coaching in groups. You can also, you know, which I think is also really fun. I'd love to get more into that as my practice unfolds. Um, and then there's the consultancy piece, which is more the how-to, right? So that's where it's an instruction of how to set goals, how to build your relationships, how to manage your time, how to ask for feedback, how to uh, communicate in a professional environment. So there's different how-to flavors, and that's where the consultancy comes in. And going back to, uh, again, the, 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 you'd asked earlier, you know, are schools training lawyers to make that transition yeah. from law school to law firm. Um, some of the work that I've done, I've done independently. I've run a course. I, I didn't really run it this year, but uh, a, a course for students to teach them in those areas, right? Time management, goal setting, all that, how to make that transition from law school to law firm. And this um, summer I was asked along with some other coaches to help coach 
students who were joining law firm a law firm for the first time to help them right to make that transition and so i think and and another law firm has has asked me about um helping them develop some programs as well for the um practice management elements of of being a lawyer because um i don't know if it's being taught in law schools i know i've sort of seen programs out there that are designed to help with practice management how to run a practice um, and I think it's a skill that that is so essential to succeeding as a lawyer. And so um, I like that there is a demand for it and perhaps a growing demand for that kind of training. Um, and so that's kind of what I would do in more of the consultancy area. Cool. So what is um, what is the biggest challenge you're seeing young lawyers have right now with their practice or adjusting? Also, I'm curious, um, have you coached many young lawyers who want to transition out of practicing law, period? I'd love to know. Oh, so, so interesting. So I'd interesting. I'd love to know what that percentage is. <laughs> um, so interesting. So what I find with lawyers that I coach um, in in the younger stages, right? Like the students, the, the younger associates, I think there are a few themes. One of them is is uh, time management that comes up, right? Making that shift, especially from maybe law school where there's a lot of structure to a law firm where there's less structure and figuring out how to be independent, how to structure your days, how to negotiate timelines, how to get things done, how to um, have a life outside of work, how to deal with that feeling of always needing to be busy, always needing to be engaged. So there's a lot of questions around time, how to, how to bill, how to not procrastinate, how to stay motivated, how to work on really large complex files that go on forever. Like how do you break that up and make it manageable? So time management is one area. I think mm -hmm. confidence and imposter syndrome is another area. So making that transition again from um, into a law firm or in your early stages as you're trying to pave your way and um, create uh, your professional identity for yourself. It's an intimidating environment. You're surrounded by very bright students, very bright colleagues, lawyers, your mentors, all of it. And so fitting in, right? Figuring out how to have the confidence to fit in. Um, boundaries, I think, is an area where sort of, you know, the flip side of that, right? How do you set boundaries when you're trying to fit in and impress? How do you then set the boundaries to um, to, 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 to not burn yourself out, to thrive in that environment. How do you say no? So that's another area. Um, and I think career strategy too is, is one of them. And you asked, are there a lot of junior lawyers who are looking to leave the profession? And I, I don't really know because I only see such a small percentage of people who are already interested in that, right? Potentially. Mm -hmm. And I think there are lawyers who flirt with that idea of leaving practice who, and some of, them, some yeah. of them, yeah. And some, some of them, I guess they, they, they flirt with the idea, they explore it and then they decide, you know what, actually I want to, I want to keep doing what I'm doing, but maybe they make adjustments. Right. And, and I can think of lawyers that I've worked with who have done that, right. They, they want to explore what are my options outside of practice, practicing law, um, often in a more traditional environment. And for some of them, they're going to make a transition. They're going to decide, you know what, I still want to practice law, but I want to do it a little bit differently. I want to do it 
um, in a way that, you know, maybe incorporates other components. Maybe they want to be um, teaching as well, or they want to be uh, more involved in business development, or they want to practice in a remote environment, or they want to practice at a nonprofit. Like, so I think some people will stay within law, but they, they might do it differently. And others, sometimes um, it's less frequent, decide they want to walk away from it and do something different. Maybe it's HR, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's something that is just totally outside of the box. That is um, a much tougher journey. I see that a lot less often than I do the version of, you know, I'm, I'm in a position I don't like, I'm going to find something else. And, um, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm also thinking, sometimes I think that's almost like a, a segue, right? That, you know, I, I, I think our careers unfold in a very nonlinear path sometimes, and that's a good thing. And so sometimes it's making those adjustments and recalibrating as you go. Ultimately, you'll end up where it is that you want to be, but we don't always know what that's going to look like when we start out. Right. So I can tell when you talk about coaching, like people who aren't viewing this, uh, (laughs) this conversation won't see your face, but you light up when you talk about coaching. I can tell it's something that you enjoy your career. What is your favorite thing about coaching lawyers? Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Susie. And thank you for saying that. I <laughs> thank you. It's really sweet of you. Um, oh, what is my favorite thing about coaching lawyers? There's so much. Um, I mean, I think th- there's, there's a lot there. I think the, one of the things I love most is really feeling like I can help somebody else figure something out for themselves, right? I think there's this, um, we don't give ourselves enough space, I don't think, to self-reflect. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just, we're all busy. We have busy lives. We're running around. We're, you know, if you're practicing a law firm, you're probably having a pretty, um, a scheduled life, right? Where you're, you're, you're always on if you're there, yeah. you're there at work or you're with your friends, you're out getting some exercise, you're at a dinner party, you're at a party, you're sleeping, you're, I don't know, grocery shopping, but that quiet time where you step back and start reflecting on what it is that's going on with you and what you want. And so when I can help a lawyer make a shift, an internal shift, that is what we like to call the off moment, right? It's like you see something differently for the first time and it changes things, right? And, and yeah. you know, I can think of clients where, um, you know, one client in particular I was helping with time management and in one of our sessions, it's like the light bulb lit up and things just shifted for that client. And mm. to be able to be with that person and to feel like you've helped them reach that point is something that is... Um, really special. I also think where I've had clients who decide to have that ongoing relationship, some of the coaching work that I do is um, more short-term, right? I, I want to go from A to B. Can you help me do that? And we go from A to B together. For some clients, they choose to have an ongoing relationship and that ongoing support. And so that is so rewarding because you get to see month to month how that person is evolving in their practice. And things that they didn't think they could do year one, year two, 
that's water under the bridge and they are so much further ahead. So to be able to watch somebody in their progression, to be able to help them along the way is it's truly an honor. And I think the last thing that I'll say about this, because I, I could go on forever, is that the conversations that you get to have as a coach are so rich. It's really, we don't, um, we get to talk about things that are so real and, and so close to the heart. And I love being that trusted person that people feel like they can talk to about whatever it is that is going on inside their brain. No judgment. I'm here hundred percent in support of them and their goals. And I love those conversations. I, I just, I, I, I could have them all day long. They're energizing to me. I love what we can do with that. Right. Because I think when you, if you're not used to coaching or speaking with people in a way where you're really just opening up, you're really vulnerable. There's so much power in having that conversation as the person speaking. There's so much power in saying things out loud that you've only previously thought in your mind. It is transformational in itself, just speaking those words out loud. So I think there's just a lot of, there's so much power in it. And and I just love being part of that process. I think that you make a really good point. You know, when I think about coaching, I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't need a coach. Like that's not for me, but it's sort of like when you have the experience of having a coach and you do have one of those aha moments, right. Or you do speak certain words into the world and you know, you're, you achieve your goal. Um, you just, you realize that like, you just realize the true, the true power of coaching, right? Like getting a coach and working with a coach is fantastic. If you are ready to really up level kind of what you, what you want in life. But I'm curious when you look, if you could write yourself a note on a piece of paper, a little piece of advice on the day that you graduated from law school, what would, what would you say? Like to little 25-year-old Paula who just got out of law school, what would future Paula say to her? It's such an excellent question, Susie. And I think I prepared an answer and now I'm having a different answer come to mind. Um, but I think it all runs along the same theme. Um, I think what I would tell her is... I think I would tell her that there are moments where it's going to be really hard and that that is okay. Yeah. And that, you know, keep going and as much as possible, try to listen to yourself mm. and trust yourself, trust the, 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 whatever it is, whether it's that, instinct or that calling or that questioning, like trust that and as much as possible, follow that. Mm -hmm. And I think what I would tell her is that everything will be okay. Because I think coming out of law school, and I think even now, right, we're all transitioning on some level, right? We're always something new is coming along. There's a new phase of life. And I think there's so much, um, well, I know for myself, I get scared. What's going to happen? You know, is this going to work out? Will it, you know, will my kids grow up to be, you know, will they ever move out of the house? Not that they need to anytime <laughs> soon, but you know, you're going to ask yourself questions at all stages. Sure. So as a, as a student coming out of law school, will I, 
you know, will I work as a lawyer forever? Like, will I succeed in my job? Will I, um, you know, do all the things that I think I want to do? So I think if we can allow ourselves to know that no matter what, it's going to work out, it takes a lot of the pressure off. So I think that's what I, what I would say is that it will be challenging and that's okay. There's also going to be a lot of fun Yeah. and to, to, to learn to trust yourself, to, to follow your instincts and to know that everything's going to be okay. I love that. So do you think that 45 year old Paula leans into her intuition a lot more than 25 year old Paula? Oh, <laughs> such a good question. Thank you, Susie. I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it, but it is very hard because I think when you're your intuition, and I'm really thinking out loud here, but your intuition is, isn't usually telling you to do what everyone else is doing, right? Your intuition right. isn't usually like, hey, this is a really good idea. Just stay on that path and keep going. Your intuition is like, hey, like, I have an idea. <laughs> I have an idea for you, Paula. <laughs> it's really going to sound a bit crazy, but you're going to like it. So I mean, at least my intuition is a little bit wild. It, it has um, some pretty crazy thoughts. And so <laughs> do I, do I listen to my intuition? Definitely more so now. Yeah. Um, not all of the time. Um, but I, I increasingly do listen to my intuition and I can see in hindsight where I have followed my intuition. And, um, and I think it's always going to be that balance between, you know, my intuition, which is like, you know, it's, it's miles ahead of me, right? It's, it's wanting the things that are five years out and I'll be like, but I'm not ready. Like I don't have the infrastructure in place for that yet. So, um, so yes, I, I do listen to it. Um, it is a work in progress. It's a work in progress <laughs> as we all are. So what is next for Paula in terms of particularly your, um, your coaching practice? I would love to know kind of what you've, you've got in the pipeline. Um, thank you so much for asking Susie. Uh, so my next is, and this is kind of where the intuition comes into play in okay. a very real concrete way. So I have been growing my coaching practice for the past, past few years and I love it. I love the work that I do with lawyers. I love the work that I do with law firms. I love the work that I do with other professional organizations. All of it, I think is, is with a view to, helping lawyers thrive, whether it's because I help them get aligned with their career goals, whether it's because we're focused on some of the, you know, practice management, time management, communication, boundaries, confidence, those types of things. So that work, um, it really does light me up. I'm, I'm very fueled by it. And where I see myself going is in the long run, wanting to create more of a community experience of coaching. And I love what you are doing in your community, Legally Blissed. I think that is brilliant. I love what you're doing with your podcast. Um, again, I think it is brilliant. And what I'm doing is um, creating uh, a community where I want to create a space of a coaching container that is a community-based container. And if I go way back um, to a conversation where we, we talked about some of the the breadcrumbs almost that led to that um the the transition right the the coaching transition one of them was that i was initially involved in this online program or um it was like a, a a health like a fitness kind of thing and it was a virtual thing where i would kind of plug in plug out and 
I'm not explaining it very well, but it was, it was a virtual program, right? Where you kind of log in what you've done for the day, your exercise, whatever. And then somebody responds to you and they give you feedback. And I found it really uplifting to be in this environment, even though I never met my coach personally, I felt very, um, I didn't even know who they were really. I felt very supported by that, um, by that community and sort of remote component. And so that's what initially sparked an idea to create a program that is a coaching program that would be accessible to many lawyers um, where you can come together and build community and learn some of these skills, right? Learn some of these teachings and then put those into practice. So my intuition keeps telling me that I need to build the community. And so that's what I'm ultimately looking toward is, is to creating something um, that, that allows me to serve at, um, at, at a broader level. And, you know, I think when you start getting into communities and you have one, you know what it's like, right? There's in my mind's eye, this idea of a legacy, right? The legacy you create by building a community, but then there's the legacy of the community. If you're able to inspire that group of, of, in, in your case, it's, um, it's women lawyers and I'm serving a similar, group, right? I'm serving for the community. I anticipate it will be women lawyers. And it's looking at them and saying, okay, when you come together in this community, what else are you going to be able to do as a result of being part of this team? And so I think there's so much potential there. And to be able to create something like that, I think would just, I just think it'd be so impactful. So that's, that's kind of like the long-term what's next. And I have no idea what the timeline is or what it looks like. I've, um, you know, I've got some ideas in terms of how to do that, but again, it's balanced out against all of the other pieces of, <laughs> of day to day. So, you know, my intuition oh. is out there in the future and I'm like, okay, intuition. <laughs> and, and you, you put it out there, right. Which is huge. And also, you know, we talked about what's really important to you right now, you know, your, your, your values, your personal health, your family, um, helping while you're striving their practice. And your last one was connection. So, yeah. you know, as long as like you're making decisions on a daily base basis um, that are aligned with these four things, then you will be probably moving closer and closer, closer towards something that looks like having a community. Yeah. And I, and I love that you're so good at this, Susie. You're like, <laughs> you're such a, you're a wonderful listener. And I, and I feel the coach, um, you know, sort of the, the, the coach questions almost. And, and yes, it's, it's abs- a little here. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. This whole, this whole experience, I feel like I've like had the most wonderful coaching experience, your questions and, um, and all of it. And, and absolutely. And, and I think that's something that, when we know what we're, what our, what our success, our definition of success looks like, when we know what our values are, exactly, it's making those little decisions day to day that align with those values, where we don't necessarily know what it's going to look like in the end, but if it follows on those values and it aligns with our own sense of what success is, then I believe, and I've seen this in others, so I, I have evidence you know, and I, I, I don't know, I can't really think of my own examples right now, but you know, I think that leads you to where you want to go. I love that. Okay. With that, Paula, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me. Where can people find you? Oh, thank you so much, Susie. Um, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to be here speaking with you and to share this um, conversation with your listeners. It's amazing. Thank you, um, thank you so much. Oh, I, I think for anybody who's who's looking to find me, 
uh, I would go, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can look up Paula Price and um, I'm there. You can also find my, so my podcast is at thejoyfulpractice.com and it's called The Joyful Practice for Women Lawyers. And it's also on all the places where you download podcasts. Podcast don't ask me to name them. <laughs> I don't know where they are, but I, there are yeah, many. you can find them. Wherever you indulge <laughs> in your podcast pleasure. You exactly. Exactly. It's <laughs> there. And then exactly. And then I, I can't remember if I've linked to it. I think I have linked to it, but if you Google up level lawyer coaching, that's where you find the one-to-one um, and more consulting type of work that I would do. So that's another way to reach out to me. So, um, all those ways would be okay. delightful. And and I'd love to hear from anybody who does have questions about any of this. Um, I'm always, I'm always interested in learning what's going on with, um, with every, with, with our lawyers and, and what questions are on their minds. So Paula, again, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you. And you've been such a wonderful interviewer. This has been such a pleasure and it's just lovely. Your questions are brilliant and this has been such a wonderful experience. So thank you again thank for you having so me on. Thank you so much for hanging out so with much. us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.